0: First of all, context is super important. We get questions all the time. Oh, so your platform just automates everything. As I wish. Unfortunately, a lot of customer feedback and customer comments, voice of the customer, whatever you want to call it, context is everything.
1: This is Aaron May.
2: I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward.
1: Silence. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Ferdinand Gutsen, the co-founder and CEO of Reveal. Today, we're going to be talking about how you can gather and use customer insights across all the many departments you might have in your organization, which is uh, probably a problem and opportunity many of you can relate to. So thank you so much, Ferdinand, for being here to discuss it.
0: Thanks a lot for having me. Really looking forward to it.
1: We've got JH here too.
2: Yeah, I'm going to try not to dominate with a million questions here because
1: is a topic <laughs> I care
2: quite a bit about. So yeah, I'll, uh, for sure, I'm going to make some space for you, Aaron, as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely thinking about it a lot. So, Ferdinand, let's just start from sort of zoomed out here. So we know probably everyone listening to this podcast knows that customer insight is very important to making good product decisions, good business decisions. So we're kind of all bought into that, but broadening your scope of where you're getting customer insight from and how do you collect that and how do you then prioritize it? There's a lot to unpack there. So let's start with, you know, what's a good place to start for folks thinking about this?
2: Yeah,
0: we get this question a lot. I think it depends, first of all, how big your organization is and how if you have a large organization with a lot of resources and a lot of teams dedicated to various customer centric initiatives, or if you're a small startup starting out and wanting to learn more about your core customers, I think that definitely influences what your options are. But in any case, I would say start simple. I think customer insights in the broadest sense of the term, it applies to pretty much any learnings you might be deriving from your customers. We know from all kinds of studies that most companies talk to their customers on a daily, if not weekly basis. So, um, There's already a lot of conversations happening, and all of those conversations could hold valuable insights. So starting with what you're already doing, I think that's a great place to start. For example, your sales conversations or your customer support tickets or feedback you might be getting through forms on either on social media or within your product directly. There are already a lot of sources for this in pretty much any organization of any size.
2: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. We've, We've tried to do a bit of this at User Interviews, And the thing that we wrestled with really quickly, and I'm curious to get your perspective on, is do you try to scan all of it? Like try to scan all of the customer conversations and and figure out what's interesting? Or do you want people to kind of self-report and have the person, you know, kind of flag like, hey, this one's really interesting. Somebody from product or research should look at this.
0: I would say both. I think the way that we structure our approach is also the approach we're basing Reveal on is ideally bring everything into one place because you can always pick and choose later what you focus on. That being said, if you have very conscious teams that are engaged in the kind of general process of customer learning, it's great to flag things that they think are of particular interest. An example of this would be our sales team will, every time they do a demo, will either upload the recording to our platform or they'll make notes in their CRM. And in that note, they'll do hashtag, I don't know, integration or hashtag reveal and send it into the platform. And then they'll add maybe another hashtag to say important or urgent And I think both is important because I'm not sure people, depending on what role someone is in, they might not be able to judge if something is, in fact, very valuable for the product team, for example.
2: Yeah, totally. And to build on the thing you said there about important, how do you recommend or how do people go about solving, like, okay, we're getting a lot of feedback here of something that's, you know, a minor annoyance, maybe. And we're not getting as much feedback on this other thing, but it's blocking the users who bring it up from like using the product at all. And so like the severity or the importance, do you have like a typical scale or way that people should go about kind of rating that stuff?
0: Yeah, I think generally reoccurring feedback. Generally, if you see something coming up quite often, then of course it's probably more salient than something that only gets mentioned once. The context in which feedback is delivered is very important. Although I would say the most important thing is that all your customer feedback one of the things that we kind of always preach about is that your customer feedback and your product backlog need to live in the same place. So it always needs to tie back to your backlog, your roadmap, what you're trying to build. So I always say there's kind of a top-down or bottom-up approach. You're either really learning about your customers and based on that defining items for your your backlog or your roadmap, your kind of product plans, or you work the other way around, which is you have a pretty clear idea of what you want to plan, what you want to build And then you're trying to find the data, the findings, the learnings to validate that. So by bringing those two things together, you also help create a little bit of direction amongst all of this feedback.
1: Let's make this feedback a little more tangible. So let's talk about some typical departments you might find in a typical organization and the kinds of insights. I know you mentioned sales and support, but... What are some different kinds of insight that might be coming in either proactively or passively from different departments and how you might think about kind of gathering those?
0: Yeah, so first off, I like that you said proactively and passively. I think one of the things that we learned very early on is people talk a lot about quantitative and qualitative data, whereas what's really important here is is the differentiation between passive and active data. Passive data being something that just kind of flows in, you you know, if you hook up your integrations or your tools right, Google Analytics is a good example. You set up Google Analytics on your website, that's gonna be passive data flowing in. There's charts and graphs already for you, whereas active data is the stuff you need to kind of mine for and you have to look for and go fishing. So an example would be, let's say, sales conversations. If you're doing demos, you could be recording those demos with tools like, I don't know, Aircall or Gong, whatever. And those recordings could be transcribed and analyzed. That's uh, an example of a piece of feedback that actually needs quite a lot of work still because you need to synthesize. I think the, the, that synthesizing process, that requires you to have certain, have at least somebody in charge or some resources dedicated to it. Other forms of, kind of active data will be any kind of research that you do, focus groups, interviews, surveys you send out, those sort of things. On the passive side, it's the stuff where customers are coming to you actively, and that could be on social media, comments on social media. It could be if you have feedback forms, forms that they're filling out, roadmaps that they're commenting or uploading features on, public roadmaps, I mean, or, yeah, customer support requests if you're using live chat support or a help desk with a ticketing system. Those are all possible sources of uh, voice of the customer data.
1: Yeah, and I imagine across sort of these different kinds of feedback, and these different departments through which they are coming into the organization, the user's in a different mindset, right? What supports hearing is mostly problems, right? Mostly frustrations. Maybe what sales is hearing is a combination of sort of more top level pain points, right? The person is experiencing in their life as a whatever it is that they do versus what supports hearing. So I'm just curious how those different lenses of how the user is coming to you through these different kinds of feedback might inform how you interpret them or what you do with them.
0: Yeah, this is where I'd probably differentiate between what I call kind of just raw data and then actual findings and insights. I think very often when you take just one comment, First of all, context is super important. We get questions all the time. Oh, so your platform just automates everything. As I wish. Unfortunately, a lot of customer feedback and customer comments, voice of the customer, whatever you want to call it, context is everything. So I think that's very important, understanding that context and also Kind of connecting the dots between different pieces of feedback you're getting precisely from those different contexts. Of course, customer support is hearing more negative things. Sales might be hearing a mix depending on whether they close the deal or not. There's going to be different areas. So what we usually say is we we kind of push this approach where you start with centralizing your data, then you try to pull out what we call findings. That's essentially kind of like your key takeaways. So you might have a 10-page interview transcript, but there's probably only three, four comments that are really, really pertinent to what you're doing depending on whether it's an interview or a sales conversation. And then those takeaways will be your findings. And then we try to cluster your findings into insights. And insights are something that we, what we're building now is to basically do things like confidence scores, so that you have clusters of findings that you can give a confidence score on based exactly on what you're saying. What is the context? Does this pertain to our thinking, our strategy, our vision? Who is saying it? How often is it being said? What countering opinions have we heard? Those sort of things.
2: When you describe getting all the way down to that insight level, so it's kind of been like you know reviewed and the context has been understood, etc. Are you talking about like getting pretty granular? Like I'm just thinking about in our own product and experience, somebody might write into support and be like, "Hey, I'm having trouble with scheduling. I wish I could do blah." And also, like if incentives worked like this, it'd be much better for me. Like those are actually two very distinct insights for us, and so like we would want to like kind of store and process this differently. Is 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 that what you recommend people do? Like take it down to that level?
0: No, generally I think when there's a bug or something, it's we don't really pay too much attention to... to When we look at it from how we... When I talk about how the product that we have, our, our platform and the process that we, we we follow, they go hand in hand, right? Because we're, we're trying to use the ideal process and build the ideal platform. And of course, things like simple, quick bug fixes, that's not something we pay too much attention to because generally, if there's a bug in the platform and it's something that's relatively quick fix, it just makes it onto the bug list. Then we do a bug triage, we prioritize, and we fix as we can. An example I can give here would be one of the things we do is automated transcriptions. And we started getting different feedback related to automated transcriptions. Somebody would say the quality in French, the transcription quality wasn't great. Or they'd say, "Ah, when I'm highlighting, I have to click on this different tab to add a tag. And we started getting different feedback, but pertaining to the same feature. And after a while... We started seeing all this feedback coming in and we started seeing these clear trends evolving and we clustered those into a clear insight, which was that the transcription feature as it is now is not creating the value that we would like it to. So we started taking that feedback and actually turning that into user stories, which we then turned into a clear feature improvement plan, which uh, we then passed on to our development team. And that's why you always need to have, of course, your product backlog and your product planning in mind when taking this feedback on board. Because yes, sometimes you're going to be inspired for new things you might not have thought of, but most of the time you're looking to validate things that are already, if not on your roadmap or on your backlog, at least in your general conscious sphere, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. You have some awareness of it as a team and you're looking for more signal or more confidence that it's something that we might actually want to go and solve and improve for users. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Cool. You had said something earlier about you know it's important to do both, where have customer support sales folks flag things that they think are interesting, but then also have the product team kind of you know random sample the the raw notes themselves because they might pull things out that are you know uniquely valuable from their point of view. Have you had any success with trying to like train you know sales folks or customer success people to like better pattern match what might be interesting to product, or is that like not a fruitful effort? Like they already have their own jobs, you know, let's not put another responsibility on top of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a it's a tough one, I guess, first of all, because customer success and salespeople are very different incentives and different uh, activities. So I think generally, my experience is that in customer success, where retention and customer experience is so fundamental to their own metrics, they're probably going to be a little bit more collaborative in that in that respect. But I think generally, you do have people who are super involved, and you can build a culture where this is very important and everyone and that's kind of what we're doing at our company. That being said, it's important to make it, for anyone whose main goal isn't customer learnings, it's important to also make it easy for them. That's where integrations are really important because we knew from day one that we're not going to get all salespeople and all marketing people and all people from all kinds of platforms to join in this process. We need to make it easy for them as well. So I think it's uh, it depends a little bit on your organization. Generally, I would say make it easy for them and in parallel, try to build a culture where it's encouraged.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've been talking a bit about some of the ways that different departments can bring insight and it can be used. And I know in the beginning you said, let's start simple and start by getting all of this insight across departments into one place or, you know, trying to at least move in that direction. So I know tools can be a good way to do that. Some people might not have the budget or the maturity or need for a dedicated tool for this purpose just yet. So how do you think through how to start getting these insights centralized across departments, depending on, you know, the needs of your your company?
0: Yeah, I think centralization is the most important step, and that is the first step. There's a lot of tools out there that allow you to do this, including Reveal, but there's many others. And generally, the price point for just centralizing information is not super high. So I think budget is rarely going to be the major blocker. It's usually then when you start wanting to synthesize and analyze and do all kinds of other things that the pricing starts to grow. But even then, anything from Google Drive to Miro to Confluence can be used in one way or another. Eventually you'll outgrow it, which is why platforms like ours exist. But getting everything into one place is really important. And that starts with the process, just this idea that, hey, let's collect all of our information in one place, it, depends. it really depends on your organization. So you might want to get all the data into one place and then start analyzing it, or you might have people analyzing in real time and they're just putting the conclusions in one place, already just having your conclusions living in one place. What we see as the main problem is that companies are very often How often does it happen that a feature finally gets prioritized and starts development and then half the support team or half the success team says, geez, we've been saying this for ages. It happens all the time. And I think that's the key that you're not doing repeat research and you're not having epiphanies six months too late. That's just having that information in one place. That is the value. The way to do that is just to tell people to, hey, from now on, every time there's a key customer learning, put it here and Even if you don't want to use any kind of extensive tooling, just set up some automation via Slack, where with a hashtag, you just create a channel. If you have any learning, dump it on this channel and we'll push it towards, I don't know, an Airtable or something like that. There's so many ways you can do this.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important to meet people where they are, especially when you're working with different departments and understand their workflows of where this insight is coming from and what's going to kind of work for everybody to adopt, you know, V1 of a system like this. So I'm a huge fan of Slack channels, for example, for just v ones of things where everyone's using it already. And then you can ultimately sort of push things from Slack to other places or things like that. So.
2: All right. A quick, awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research. But you know what's really fun is doing user research. And we want to help you with that.
1: We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward. For you to get your first three participants free.
2: We all know we should be talking to users more. So we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out.
1: And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please.
2: What's the best practice for product folks, or just your opinion, I suppose, of, you know, all this feedback is getting shared into them from different parts of the organization, different departments, how do they close the loop and like, let them know what's happening with that? Because like some of the stuff they are going to, you know, prioritize or it's going to influence what they work on other stuff. Yeah, we hear it, but we don't see it as like a growth initiative right now. We have other business goals. So we're deprioritizing it for the moment. Like, is it important to kind of like be transparent about what is happening with the feedback or or more just to create the culture of getting it in there and, and good things will come from it later?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Uh, It's a two-way street for sure. I think if you want to create a culture where people want to share feedback, you need to show them that it's having an impact. And I think that's the problem that we saw. The reason we started Reveal was we saw that a lot of departments weren't engaged with sharing that feedback. And even in companies where you have dedicated UX researchers whose whole job is learning about the customer, they still felt like they didn't impact the roadmap. In fact, my experience is you talk to most UX researchers, they don't feel like they're having the impact they would like to have because there's still quite a strong... uh, there's still a fence between the customer learnings and the actual product development and the prioritization. And that's why we try to bring that into one platform. But even just in the culture, it's really important that, of course, you want to encourage people to share those insights, but it also needs to come back. Then they need to know, hey, this is, I don't know, when, when you're presenting a new feature, when you're presenting the new prioritization framework you're introducing, or if you're talking about, hey, we're now building XYZ because it's important to show that customer data, to show that the validation came partially from the information that they provided. I think that's really, really important.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like the simplest way maybe for product folks or uh, people out there to do that is just make it part of their storytelling. So like, as you are saying like, Hey, we're going to work on this next, just kind of like give the context and visibility into what went into that decision-making. Is that like a fair summary?
0: Yeah. I think that's already as a step one, really just to say, hey, folks, we're building this because we got some great feedback from sales that this, or we got some great feedback from customer support that X, Y, Z. Same thing goes that, I mean, I guess there's already a process for this that if most companies, if they have customer success or customer support on like a chat function, that if a customer says, hey, I noticed this bug, when the bug gets fixed, you relay it back to that team to inform the customer that it's been fixed. You can use those same channels and those same approaches just to say, hey, we built this because your feedback really made a difference. I think that's uh, really useful.
1: Yeah, and also sharing it back with the users who are giving you this free insight too, right? You requested this, like you personally, or people like you, many of you requested this. We paid attention and we built this. This is not just us coming up with random stuff to create. We're actually listening to your feedback and then you'll get more of it. So you create a virtuous cycle all around.
0: And two things happen. Number one is that the customer is happy because you fixed the problem. But number two, they start becoming less strict with other problems that might arise. What, what we find is that when you're very open with the customer and if a customer really gets a feeling of, hey, I, I flagged this problem and it got fixed, I don't know, within a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever, depending on the problem, they also cut you more slack on any potential future, be that usability problems, be that a bug, or be it just that they'd like a certain feature that hasn't been released yet. They give you a lot more leeway if they feel like they're being listened to.
2: Yeah, and is, do you think that's just sort of because they, they can kind of see the vitality in the product? Like, I know that I've shared stuff in the past and it's gotten fixed, so the thing I'm encountering now, you know, likely might get fixed as well in the future. Is, is that kind of the loop that's happening there? Or, or what, it, yeah. I'm just using your explanation for that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I'm using a product every day and I flag problems and they never get addressed, then one day if there's a, something that's maybe more of a deal breaker or something that's more likely to, I don't know, a competitor releases a feature that my, the current product I'm using doesn't have, you might be more, more willing to think, oh, you know what? They're never going to fix this, so I'm just going to switch to that competitor now. Whereas if you flag two or three things in the past that have all been fixed, then you're probably going to say, hey, you know what? My first course of action is just to let them know, hey, this is really important to me. Because if it's important to me and it's important to others, they're going to build it.
2: Yeah, totally. A bit of a change of topic here, but uh, something that I'm curious to get your perspective on is, I think this is one of those things when you talk about in the abstract, it just seems to make a ton of sense, and everyone's probably nodding their head, saying, "Yes, we should do this." But in my, you know, my experience in reality, when you actually start to go out and do this, even at a you know smaller growing business, the volume of feedback can feel overwhelming really quickly. Like you know, you start to pull in all the customer support tickets, you start to get all the highlights from the sales calls, you start to have people share in Slack channels, and if, you know, kind of you know, the analogy that people use often is like a fire hose. It's like, oh man, there's like a fire hose of information coming at us how do teams deal with that so like you know we're fired up we're excited to do this and then they step into it and they're like whoa there's a lot here how do we how do we keep up with it
0: yeah i think uh, a lot of feedback is always good but of course it's challenging if you have dedicated people to connect those dots to synthesize that information to create those insights then it's not going to be so much of an issue because you have dedicated people if you have so many customers that you have so much feedback that you probably have the revenue and the budget to also hire a a couple of researchers and a couple of UXers who can actually process that information, even if it's a high amount of information. Now, there might be exceptions to that, of course. I think the key here is that a lot of companies, I hear that quite often, that companies want to jump from doing almost nothing to, wow, now we've got these giant amounts of information. (laughs) Whereas You don't have to go from zero to 100. It's already okay to just start with, okay, I've got 20 items that I'm prioritizing right now with my team. Of these 20 I- backlog items, how many of them do I have at least five customer data points that give me any indication that I'm doing the right thing? Because the, you see this quite often, and every, company will use the, every team will use their own prioritization framework, but I take something really simple like the ICE framework. You've got impact, you've got confidence, you've got ease. Well, what I'm seeing in most product teams that I've worked with or that I've worked near has been impact is super relative and super gut feeling driven most of the time. Uh, ease is super under, underscoped and underestimated nine <laughs> out of 10 times. Everything's
1: easy, yeah. Everything's
0: easy. Everything's super impactful. And then confidence just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like, <laughs> right. well, they just go like, oh yeah, I'm really confident. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Your personal confidence has already been reflected in the impact. So the, the confidence, in my opinion, should come from customer feedback and customer data, of course. And I think the, the process here is that for companies that say we've got way too much feedback, flip it around. Look at your product backlog, look at all the things you want to build in your roadmap and ask yourself, let's prioritize this, but the confidence score can only be increased if you have customer feedback points or customer data points to validate this particular idea. And then start attaching those to your roadmap items or your backlog items, and then do your prioritization again. And that's a really simple way to funnel down some and really focus on some pieces of feedback over others, but already having somewhat of an impact.
2: Yeah, I love that framing.
1: So, Ferdinand, a lot of times with various tools that gather feedback across departments and are sort of product-centric and how they get used, you'll see the insights broken up into product roadmap sort of centric language. And I'm wondering, is there some benefit in thinking about insights in terms of user segment or user pain point or a more user-centric way that can be useful here in deciding how to action some of these insights?
0: Yeah, I think generally, every company will work with a different informational hierarchy. But if you're working with general, I don't know, let's take the classic, your themes, epic stories, and so on. I think at every level of information or every level of granularity, you can benefit from those customer insights. One of the things we like to do a lot is user stories. We think user stories, they play such a central part to our product development that essentially when we're building something we almost only rely on user stories to really decide what to build. We say, we need to build this solution. We're going to take six weeks to work on it. Let's rank or prioritize all the user stories from most important to least important, and then just cut a line where we think that six-week point mark, uh, that six week mark uh, lies. And then we will use different kinds of uh, feedback to validate not only what we're doing, but how we're doing it. So I'm not sure if this answers your question directly, but... If you're working with your product roadmap, that's kind of a higher level. This is what we're trying to build. But even within those features, how you're going to build them, what kind of different user stories you want to address, all of those require or can benefit from an association with customer feedback and customer insights that can help validate, shape, and really give confidence in how you're designing your solutions, basically.
1: Right. Because I imagine when you're doing more discovery research or perhaps your product is earlier stage, your product roadmap is very open-ended and opportunity-based. And so you need some sort of container to put these insights in that might come before the roadmap exists. And so like you were saying, user stories or whatever, that, that framework is can be potentially helpful there. I'm curious, what are some of the challenges you've seen working with some of your customers or in the industry generally as folks try to implement systems like this and maybe some solutions you've seen to some of those challenges?
0: Yeah, I think with smaller companies, the biggest challenge is who's in charge of this? Who owns this? Because it is a process that as important as it is, it does require some time, effort, and focus. So in a small company, you're rarely gonna have one of the founders take the helm on this. So there you really need to coordinate and assign an owner. I think that's really important. The biggest risk there always is that you have these responsibility gaps that everyone says, hey, it's a team effort, but then nobody really feels responsible for it. So they're having clear ownership. That's one of the challenges that uh, that I see with smaller companies. With the larger companies, it's making sure, because this process is nothing new. I think generally talking to customers, most companies do that. Making note in some way, shape, or form of interesting things that the customer says, most companies do that. Trying to share that with other people who are working on projects that could benefit from it, companies do that with less success, but they still try to do that. So this whole process, is it's nothing new. It's already happening. Just right now, it's happening fragmented. It's siloed. It's scattered across different departments. They're using 20 different tools. So you collect your data with one tool, you centralize it with another, then you do your journey maps on a different tool. Then you have your product backlog lives on this tool. Then your product roadmap lives on another tool. And then you actually, your development team is working on a fifth tool. And I think that fragmentation, if you look at every single other field, sales teams, they all use Salesforce or something like that now. HR teams started using Bamboo HR. What do I know? Marketing teams are Marketo and HubSpot. Like everyone's doing this, but I still feel that product teams very often are still fragmented between quite a lot of tools. And that's very often with the larger organizations to be able to say, hey, you need to build this into your existing processes because those processes already exist. These habits already exist. And then making sure that that your tool stack, your team's activities, that your strategy is fully aligned with what they were doing or connects well with what they were doing previously. So it's a very different
2: kind of challenge. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The thing you shared before about you know, hey, instead of trying to boil the ocean and process every single piece of feedback that comes in, I think people have this like natural completionist streak of we're going to make sense of every single thing we have. And instead framing it as, hey, for everything we want to do that's kind of tentatively in the backlog, let's just make sure we have five pieces of evidence or insight for it. I'm curious, do you have a similar approach or framework for how teams maybe get into like the taxonomy or organizing insights? That just feels like another area where I could imagine a well-intentioned, smart person, kind of like paralyzing themselves before they even get started? Because they're like, we have to come up with the perfect hierarchy of how we store all this stuff. Are there practical ways to step into that that let teams kind of move forward without, you know, getting bogged down?
0: Yeah, I think uh, keeping it simple is an important starting point that (laughs) over-engineering or over-complicating it is not going to help. And I think that's, again... The, the boiling the ocean, like you say, going from zero to a hundred, that's kind of leads to, here's 25,000 categories and tags that we can use. Uh, it's, uh, you don't want that. I think good categorization and tagging and a solid search functionality in whatever database you're using, I think that's going to be very helpful. And it goes back to the reason I suggested that you don't ask your sales team or your support team to filter in advance is you want all that information to come in because what's not important today might be important tomorrow. And the key is if you just use simple tags, it depends what kind of tags you want to use. But for example, if you work with product themes, that can be one category on the basis of which you tag. If you have different user segments, you're going to want to, or, or customer segments, you're going to want to have that customer segments as a category and tag the different kind of segments. And then if you have feature requests versus bug fixes versus usability requests, the type of request they're giving and the type of source was it a feedback form? Was it an interview? And the team that collected it. Those are the kind of categories I would always advocate, and then uh, tags under each category that are pertinent. And that's not doesn't have to be very complicated. The advantage is three, six, nine, twelve months down the line, when you're working on something completely different that maybe you weren't plan, you weren't even aware of at the point in time before, and you want to find information, you don't have to start research from scratch. You can actually first go into that database, that repository, and you can start using those tags to see, hey, did we did we ever collect any information on this? And that's really, really helpful. And that's where I would say simple tagging and categorization can go a really, really long way. And even the most basic tools allow you to do that.
1: Yeah. And it, it does feel like less is more because if you have you know, a smaller number of tags that maybe aren't exactly what you're looking for, it's easy enough to map those to what you maybe are looking for versus if you went all in with hundreds of tags out of the gate, it could be quite quite overwhelming.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it it does also doesn't take that long to pour over, you know, 10 pieces of data or 30 pieces of data. Right. Like it doesn't take that long. Uh, so So if you have some simple tags already just to help narrow the scope, you'll be able to take it from there most of the time.
1: I also imagine another benefit of having different departments sort of add insights without a ton of filtering is you reduce some bias, right? We're all biased. As we talked about, different teams have different incentives and motivations. And so the lens through which that insight, that raw insight is going to be filtered will vary by person and department. So you can take some of that out. Even if it means you have more raw data to ultimately process in the end, uh, you're going to you're gonna get the benefits of that raw data as well.
0: 100%.
1: Ferdinand, what else should we know about gathering insights across departments?
0: To be honest, I think the key is it's not rocket science and just do it. I think it's so simple to get started. Always regurgitate the same statistic, which is, I think it's something like 93% of product teams talk to customers before designing anything. And that's a really, really high number. I mean, it should be that high, but that's still really, really high. So, and it's well over 90% of companies talk to customers on a regular basis in some form or another. So the conversations are already happening and it's just such a shame not to take advantage of them. And if you look at the statistics on how often we talk to our customers, and then you look at studies that say, what is it? A 30% of prioritization still is reliant on CEO and stakeholder pressure. And another 20% is based on gut feel. And you're just sitting like, why? Why is that happening? You're talking to customers every day, and people are still kind of going about, even people who are aware that they shouldn't, uh, they're a little bit biased in their prioritization. And of course, there's always going to be some bias. But if if you can at least rest on a couple of data points from customers to validate your decision, that's really valuable. And maybe the last thing I wanted to add, because I touched upon it, is this is something I've seen more and more, and it's a problem I underestimated in the past, is how often product teams are struggle with the pressures from other stakeholders. Because very often, you'll have, a, and especially in a smaller company, you have the CEO pushing, hey, let's build this. I saw this somewhere, so we should build this. And it's really hard for someone who's not in a very senior position to push back against that. Even if you're in a senior position, to be honest, if the CEO in a small company is pushing you, it's hard to push back. And I find having customer insights gives you an important weapon there. Because when a CEO comes and says, I want to build this, and you can come back and say, look, I got these three other things we could build, and I got 20 data points to prove it. I can't find a single person who says they want what you're suggesting. Do you want me to build it? Most of the time these days, that stakeholder will back off. At least if they don't, you're vindicated in the long run and the next time they're going to think twice.
2: Right, right. Or you have a different problem in your organization. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah, maybe a different spin on the way I always think about it too is... Especially for me, like I've been doing user, I've been working at user reviews for a while now. So over that time, like the gut stuff comes from somewhere to your point, right? Of like, you have these gut feels. It's because you've had all these conversations, you've seen all these insights, you've gathered all this data over, over the years. But it's different when you're like telling people that like, oh, I have a strong intuition that we should do this. Trust me. That's very different, right? Then I have a strong intuition that this is worth doing. Here's 20 pieces of feedback that kind of support it. Why don't you read it and, and see what conclusion you draw? Right. It's like you're kind of getting there in a similar way, but like being able to have the evidence or show your thinking that maybe is informing your gut is just is very powerful, especially as the teams get larger.
0: Yeah, it's so much better. And you can still build a culture and say, hey, you know what, once in a while you get to do a cut feel bet. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, our gut feel has served as well in the past. It doesn't come from nowhere, like you say. And once in a while, you can just bypass all the processes and say, we're just going to build this anyway. But that shouldn't be the norm. The norm should always be, we have some evidence. I think that that's simple.
1: Well, I think that's a great place to leave it, except for one more question I would like to ask, which is, what do you love about user research, Ferdinand? I
0: just love talking to customers. I love talking in general. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. having an audience always helps. And customers, it's just, I started my career in the world of growth hacking, where it's all the newest tool, the newest trend, the newest hack, the newest tactic. And and it drove me nuts because at the end of the day, if you don't know who your customer is, all of that stuff's useless. Mm -hmm. And there's just such a big difference between Knowing your customer from, I don't know, something somebody wrote versus having talked to them yourself, that customer empathy is just something that it brings everything you do in a company to life. It makes your product better and more satisfying to build. It just makes everything better. So I'm a big fan of talking to customers.
1: Thanks so much for joining us, Ferdinand.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks again.
1: Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews.
2: Theme music by Fragile Gang.